This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. There was a show. I don't know if it's still on. I uh, it's one of those shows I never really watched, but I thought the concept of it was cool. It's a lot of shows like that, like uh, Joe Millionaire or The Masked Singer. I would never take the time to actually watch them, but I'm glad that they're there, and I I, I love the idea behind them, as opposed to say a, a television show about the country's great miniature golf courses, which not only would I not watch, but I also don't think that it's great in concept. But anyway. There was a show, um, and again, there may still be, there was a show called Pros versus Joes. Have you heard about this? Basically, what it would do is they would take retired professional athletes and have them compete in sporting events against really good amateurs. Like, let's say you take four or five recently retired football players and they play a game of two-hand touch football against four or five just regular guys. You get it? Pros versus Joes. You know, I think most, I don't know what happens. I think most of the time the pros win. I want to do the same thing with respect to predictions. In a moment, I'm going to ask you your predictions for 2024. And what I want everyone to do is write down all of the predictions that you're about to hear or bookmark this podcast and send yourself a timed email. You could do that with Gmail to have this podcast played back for you on January 1st of 2025 to see which of these predictions have proven to be accurate. Let's begin with the OG when it comes to predictors. The seer of seers, the prognosticator of prognosticators. No, not Punxsutawney Phil, but Nostradamus. Are you up on Nostradamus? We've done some Nostradamus shows before. He's a fascinating guy. Whether his predictions are accurate or not, he's still a fascinating guy. He was a 16th century French astrologer that is known for predicting all sorts of things. And a lot of his predictions are kind of vague. And it's one of those things where, in hindsight, you could say, oh, well, he definitely predicted that. And he definitely predicted that. But it's a little tough to tell before that actually comes to fruition. Uh, for instance, some people say that he predicted the rise of Hitler, the assassination of John F. Kennedy, the September 11th attacks, and COVID. And... His visions have continued. There are 942 poetic verses. And again, it's kind of vague, but let me tell you what the Nostradamus experts are saying he has predicted for 2024. One is Prince Harry will become king. 
So one of the passages in his long text says that a king of the isles will be driven out by force. Some people think Nostradamus is referring to King Charles II. Another passage, supposedly about Charles, says, Soon afterward, a disastrous war, a new king shall be anointed, who for a long time will appease the earth. So um, one Nostradamus commentator, who previously said Nostradamus may have predicted Queen Elizabeth's death, he analyzed that King Charles III would be abdicating due to persistent attacks on both himself and his wife, and that Harry would replace him instead of William because he, the spare heir, has no mark of a king. So that's the prediction. Prince Harry becomes king from Nostradamus, at least as interpreted by the Nostradamus scholars. This is another one, not a good one. China wages war. Nostradamus predicted combat and naval battle and said that a, ready for this, red adversary will become pale with fear, putting the great ocean in dread. So some think that that term, the red adversary, could be referring to China and their red flag. And the naval battle could be referring to China's tensions with Taiwan. Because Beijing, uh, the capital of China, has the largest navy in the world. Uh, Another prediction from Nostradamus, climate disaster. The climate crisis has obviously become more apparent in recent years. The fact that we haven't had snowfall in in decades, it seems. Um, And a lot of people point to wildfires and other things as being indicative of that. Nostradamus has apparently predicted that it will get even worse Quote, the dry earth will grow more parched and there will be great floods when it is seen. Now, that's what the climate change people are saying. The other people, after that earthquake in Japan, they're saying, oh, no, 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 what he actually predicted was the earthquake. So I don't know. It's vague enough. It could be climate change. It could be, um, could be earthquakes. It says, quote, very great famine through pestiferous wave. And... A new pope. According to Nostradamus, we could see a new pope. Through the death, uh, through the death of a very old pontiff, a Roman of good age will be elected. Of him, it will be said that he weakens his see, but long will he sit an inviting activity. So Pope Francis, this could be it for him. Okay, so that's Nostradamus. I'm going to give you what some of the other experts say, and then I'd love to hear your predictions for the new year. What do you think is going to happen this year? Could be anything. Could be sports. Could be cultural. Could be pop culture. Could be uh, economic. Could be political. Could be whatever. 800-848-9222. In a year from now, we'll give one of you, whoever has the most accurate predictions, we'll give one of you the Nostradamus Award. Okay. Now... There's also something called the Pocket Chinese Almanac. Ken Smith and uh, his wife, Johanna Lee, they, they make it a little bit more scientific than Nostradamus does. He was more about the stars, but, you know, there's an element of just astrology and everything here, too. But... Joanna Lee said, we looked at this year's predictions and we got alarmed. This is going to be a tumultuous 
year. So Smith and Lee called themselves the publishers, translators, and annotators of the pocket Chinese almanac. But not the authors, but the annotators. And in late 2019, months before the first coronavirus case was recorded in New York, the author of this pocket Chinese almanac, Warwick Wong, told the couple, find a safe place to hide. There'll be a disaster. He didn't specify what the disaster would be. He himself disappeared to a monastery. So Smith and Lee, who live on uh, Manhattan's Upper West Side, they were introduced to Wang by the publisher of a Chinese-language almanac, and they said they wanted to adapt. So for Smith and Lee, the project involved abbreviating a lot of material. Each page of the pocket Chinese almanac measures only four and one-eighth inches by two and a half inches, less than a quarter of the size of the page in the original version. So like any Chinese almanac, Theirs is based primarily on astrological data that someone like Wang has run through a series of mathematical and interpersonal calculations to arrive at the relative chances for the different activities on any given day. Today, for example, um, is good for beginnings. But they say that good luck is in decline. So Smith and Lee said they had checked with Wong for additional guidance about 2024 after this year's almanac arrived from the printer. They said Wong told them that good luck would be in in decline. And then this was because Wong's calculations, which leads to a set of Chinese characters that amount to a horoscope, had revealed a lopsidedness to this year, which is the year of the dragon. All the characters are yang. There's no yin. This is not in balance, shall we say. Uh, According to Smith, yang is the predominant male trait. People will be inflexible. Lee added, nobody's going to listen. Everybody's going to be stubborn. This is the year of the wooden dragon. Okay, what else? So we know it's going to be tumultuous. The wealth star is weak which means that business operations are going to be difficult, not only in terms of getting new money, but also in cutting expenses. Uh, That was, you know, very interesting, and people are saying that may pertain specifically to New York. So that's kind of vague. They're just predicting a bunch of tumultuousness. Here is a pro that I think is very interesting. Um, There's a very popular British psychic medium who, of all things, uses not tarot cards, not the stars, not anything like that to forecast the future. She's revealed her predictions for 2024. She makes her predictions using asparagus. Asparagus. I'm not joking. They call her an asparamenser. Jemima Packington. Her process involves tossing a bundle of the vegetables into the air and then divining forthcoming events by observing how they land. Here's a little bit of this uh, asparagus psychic. Um, Well, so her unique technique has made her something of a celebrity in England. And she has been credited with predicting both the election of Donald Trump in 2016, as well as the passing of Queen Elizabeth in 2022. So now, with the new year upon us, Packington recently performed the annual asparagus toss, 
and issued her forecast for 2024. Here's a little bit of uh, what she had to say. Your big predictions for 2024, you and your asparagus. Right. Deaths of world leaders. Oh. But the U.S. will have a female president. Oh, wow. Right. Okay. Kamala Harris. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. And, and what shape did the asparagus land in to predict that? It's, it's very difficult um, to explain. There are certain things connected, for instance, with royal family. You see a crown. And if there is a breakup, like, like I, I predicted this year, um, separations and divorces within royal family, the, the spears break. or they, right. um, and, and you're able to interpret from that. Right. I say Kamala Harris is going to be um, the, the next president of the U.S. Then? She's not going to be. Right. But the next president will be female. Oh, right. Will be female. Right. OK. Now, that's interesting. So while a number of the predictions put forward by the Asparamenser are, again, like Nostradamus, rather vague, I think I've come to the conclusion that's the key to accurate predictions. Make them vague so that whatever comes true, you could say, yep, I predicted that. But anyway, um, she has predicted regime change in other countries, okay, uh, and turmoil in the Middle East. Boy, that's really going out on a limb. Reaching a breaking point. That's what she's saying about the turning point, the, the turmoil in the Middle East. She did provide a few particularly specific prognostications. So, again, as you, I hope you made out there, that is what she just said. That's the most eyebrow-raising forecast for the year, that the United States will have its first female president. But she said that it won't be Kamala Harris. So that w- it's a little bizarre because, I mean, there are, there, is, there are other women running like Nikki Haley, but even if they're elected, they're not elected until 2025. I mean, excuse me, they're not inaugurated until 2025. So unless she's saying that the first female president will be elected, it's a little weird. Um, she's also hinting that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle will wind up separating in 2024. So it's interesting. You have Nostradamus predicting Prince Harry will become king, and you have the Asparamenser predicting that um, Prince Harry and Meghan will split up. So other predictions offered by the Asparamenser for the new year include a downturn in the popularity of celebrities and influencers. Hello? A lessening of the stigma surrounding mental health. All right, that's good news. And hard times for public figures exposed as criminals, as well as very well-paid TV personalities who will find themselves being fired. And so as for how Packington's forecasts for last year ultimately fared, one British media outlet combed over her UK-centric list and found that 11 and a half of her 20 predictions wound up being largely accurate. So there you have it. You have the Nostradamus predictions, you have the little Chinese almanac predictions, and you have the asparagus predictions. Now you've heard from the pros. Let me hear from the Joes. What are your predictions for this year? What do you think is going to happen? And what do you make of these predictions? 800-848-9222. I can't think of anyone that's more of a Joe than E. Frank in Astoria. Hello, E. Frank. Yes, hello, Frank. How are you this new year? Well, I am uh, doing just great. Give me your predictions for the year, E. Frank. Yeah, I'm usually right, like 95%. Uh, I would just say that uh, former President Bill Clinton will admit what he did in eight years in the Oval Office. He'll discover many things that no one knew happened in the White House.
White House during his eight-year term. Uh, President Biden will win his second term, and he will decide to reform the country in a new and very innovative way. Uh, Former President Trump will be indicted and receive at least 150 years, and but President Biden will pardon him, and he will retire into his Jamaica estates uh, uh, home that he used to have when he was a child. And finally, uh, Tom Jones, Tom Woodward, is going to expose all the things that have been going in the music business in America, and uh, a new form of music will come into, uh, like the Beatles invasion. E. Frank, I like it. Those are pretty specific predictions. I give you credit for that. Now we're gonna we wrote these down and we're saving the recording. And a year from now, we're gonna go back and listen. Can you imagine if E. Frank is more accurate than both Nostradamus and the asparagus in uh, asparagus psychic and the little Chinese almanac? That'll be wild. All right, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. If you have a Prediction. You're welcome to comment on uh, anything else we've covered thus far. Let me go to Mike uh, listening in Tennessee. Mike, are you listening on uh, WUCT or on KWAM? I think it's KWAM, Frank. All right. Well, we're happy to have you however you're listening. Thank you. Uh, I, I really enjoy your show and your crew. Hey, listen, you was talking about I was in Iraq, squad later, 2004 and five. You thank you. Thank you for your time. service. Well, thank you for your service. You're welcome. Uh, uh, but you was talking about the coffee cup deal. This is what I done. I was over. Uh, I was in Iraq, uh, two thousand four and five. Well, I was picking my squad out, and I uh, we trained with uh, Delta and Special Forces, and I was picking my squad out. Now this is what I done, and it worked. I would take a garbage bag empty garbage bag, and lay it in front of the chow hall dumpster in the bunker was at. And I would watch uh, my uh, the soldiers come out, whether they would take that garbage bag laying on the concrete, put it in the can, and then throw their trash in or just throw their trash in. I mean, <laughs> you know, their place. And how many would do the right thing? I'd say... Uh, maybe 60%. The ones that oh. didn't, they wouldn't in my squad. <laughs> well, it looks like you you picked the right squad there, uh, Mike. I know I did. I love it. Hey, Mike, thank you. Happy New Year. Appreciate that. Oh, uh, one other uh, pro prediction that I wanted to play for you. Jesse Waters hosts a show on the Fox News Channel, and he had a psychic on. And he asked her about her predictions. This is what she said. Paula, for you to give me a reading... Hmm. On President Trump. Just the one card. One card. One card. Let's do just one card. We like that one. Uh oh. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> what is that? I, I mean, I, I, I do recognize that I'm at, I'm at Fox TV. I have <laughs> a sense of loss. A sense of loss. But it, it's very <sighs> specific. No, let, let, let me. Move on. <laughs> it's a sense of loss. It's as if um, he may be thinking more about what he's lost and not still taking full advantage of what he still has. So uh, they, the, the card that she pulled for President Trump, it was the Grim Reaper char, uh, card. And that the, the psychic who uses tarot was uh, Paula Roberts, a self-described clairvoyant and ghost hunter. 
So she pulls out the Grim Reaper card and uh, she says that she's predicting a sense of loss. Who knows? They, uh, sometimes, from what I understand from tarot people, and I, you know, I'm not an expert on tarot, but they interpret the card as a signifier of change rather than actual death. So who knows? We'll see. 800-848-9222. Howard in Babylon, give me your predictions for the year. Hi there. I predict Donald Trump will be the next president of the United States again. All right. Just as simple as that. Yeah, pretty much. I think he's got it locked up. All right. Controversy. And what's your uh, what's your methodology for making the prediction? Let's just say I have a few of the things. I love it. Birdie told me. All right. All right. Thank you. Al in New York City, give me your predictions for the year. Al? Al. Okay. 800-848-9222. Mary is in Brooklyn. She's been patiently holding. Hi, Mary. Hello. Um, can I still talk about Dave Chappelle? Anything you like, Mary. Okay. Um, you know, how would you feel if your son was handicapped? Would you feel that, you know, him making jokes about it, that it would, that would uh, be okay? Uh, well, so I don't know how I'd feel, but I can tell you friends of mine who do have handicapped children... They, both they and their children do laugh at jokes at the expense of the handicapped sometimes for the kind of reasons that the all earlier caller said, which is sometimes you need a little bit of a, a release valve. You're, you're dealing with so much stress and so much difficulty that sometimes you're able to laugh at something, even if it's perceived to be at your own expense. Yeah, I guess I could understand that. Uh, I guess it would depend on what the joke is. You know, because I'm in a wheelchair, and I had lost my leg. Oh, sorry. And I, and I um, uh, you know, people will point at me and laugh, you know what I mean? And it's very hurtful. Well, you know, look, so. I, I think that's terrible, Mary. Like, if somebody's well, actually... What? No, I, I, I would never do anything like that. I, I, mean, I think that's like awful. You can't make fun of what well, we used to call them retarded people. Right. You can't make fun of that, you know, that anymore. So why is it okay to make fun of handicaps? Yeah, I don't think it is, you know? right? I think it's different if you're subjecting an individual person to mockery or an insult. I think it's a little different if you're telling a joke in the abstract uh, or a joke about a public figure where the, um, where the punchline involves something that is relatively innocuous. I don't think there's anything fun about making someone feel worse about themselves uh, but i think that's and thanks for the call mary and best of luck i think it's a little bit different from what Chappelle was doing i do it, you know it's almost um going it's like the difference between going up to a gay person and saying an anti-gay slur versus doing a stand-up comedy routine and making jokes about gay people generally does that make sense i i think I, again i'm not trying to sound like um the president of UPenn making the difference between uh, noting the difference between talking about genocide in the abstract versus picking on someone and and calling for genocide to them directly. But I think there is a difference between if, if something's individualized versus if it's sp- spoke more broadly. Noah in New Jersey, you have a biblical name. Give us your prediction. How you doing uh, this morning, Frank? Um, so okay, so I think uh, I think Donald Trump will win the election. Um, I only have two predictions. One, I think Donald Trump will win the election. 
Um, and I think he's going to have a lot of a lot of trouble once he gets into the White House. But I think ultimately he's, he's going to win the election. And I think there's going to be a greater um, scale uh, conflict going on uh, globally with Ukraine, with the Middle East, and then eventually with China and Taiwan. Interesting. All right. So that's one prediction or that's two? That would be the two. The two. conflicts okay. going on. Yeah. I have written it one. down, Noah. We will compare you to Nostradamus a year from now. We're going to try again for Al in New York City. Hello, Al. Happy, happy New Year. My humble apologies with the, the drop Sure, off. sure. Yeah. Listen, you can't predict the future, but you can shape it. And the future is in what it used to be. All right? But that being said, here's what I see. 20 more markets are where you're going to be. I see you getting a Talkers Award. I see young Carmine having a sibling. This is all this year. I see a good Atlantic City trip. I see a good Cape May vacation. And I think a president may pass before Valentine's Day and they'll bury him on his front lawn under a tree. That's me going out on a limb. All right. Well, hey, Al, that's pretty specific. I need a hundred-year-old Jimmy. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, all the best. Uh, Al, thank you. I appreciate that, and at least your predictions as towards me. I hope they come to fruition. All right. Noam Layden is here. Brian Kilmeade is here. We'll chat with both of them straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Like a small boat on the ocean, sending big waves into motion. Like how a single word can make a heart open. I might only have one match, but I can make an explosion. And all those things I didn't say were acting minutes after the hour if you think fight the man that immediately comes to mind is gnome laden our news guru stand by for the other side of midnight's news from new york city the other side of midnight and its affiliated stations present national and international news with frank morano and news director gnome laden their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. Hello there, Noam. No, almost, almost, almost. Keep keep, keep trying the, the neighboring microphone. Uh, yeah, try the other one. Okay, there you go. All right. How about that microphone? I mean, right. It only takes. Not like collectively we all do this every day. Right. So. 
the this Japanese airline. Mm. I heard you mention this in the last hour, right. but not enough can be said about what happened during this amazing rescue. If we weren't following this story on Tuesday, a military flight that did not have the green light to take off at a uh, airport in Tokyo started down the runway and hit a Japanese uh, aircraft, passenger aircraft that had just landed from another part of Japan. And uh, it sounded off this loud explosion. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, five of the six people on the military flight uh, were killed. But there were 387 people that were on the flight from Japan, and everybody got off okay. And I did not know this, but when they do tests uh, of these aircrafts, the manufacturers have to show a way where everybody can get off a flight in 90 seconds, which seems impossible, right? I mean, that just is not reality. And in fact, people... There was an airline attendant um, who called in earlier from Ohio who said that's what they were trained to do. 90 seconds. Yeah, and that was with Pan Am. She said, you know, we were trained to get everybody off in 90 seconds. Yeah, and and the, the, the truth is, when they do this in real world, it never happens that way. That said, this was miraculous. This plane had been hit. The lights were off. The a, the uh, speakers were not working, so the flight attendants had to pull out uh, bullhorns to let people know what was going on. And in a very un-Japanese like way, people saw this fire happening in the back of the plane and did start to panic. And what was interesting to hear from some of the people who were on the flight who have lived in Japan their whole lives, they had never seen people push. It's not a polite thing to do in Japan society. People were pushing and shoving people down the aisle, worried that they did not understand what was going on. That said, uh, that was about as chaotic as it got in 18 minutes. So the flight landed at 547 by 605 uh, with the plane on fire. They were able to get everybody off this plane. Not not all the entrances were open because there was this explosion and then sure. the fire in the planes. Uh, not all the chutes opened to get people off. Um, so there were only two or three entrances that were open, but slowly people sort of just said, okay, they realized in this moment that it seemed like the flight crew, uh, all 12 of them were on top of this as they got everybody off the plane. What was also amazing was that there were people on the plane who were still trying to grab their luggage to pull it off. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? And um, the stewardesses were saying, as they were giving direction, leave your luggage. Uh, your life is more important. Yeah, no they, kidding. They were even saying that. Your life is more important than your luggage. That said, there were a fair number of people who took off their luggage and waited to get to it, by the way. Uh, even uh, in some cases walking backwards, because, you know, sometimes you put it in a different overhead compartment. Walking backwards to get to their luggage as people were trying to go forward. And they say that's what started some of the pushing and the shoving. Uh, The screaming started just in the first couple moments when they realized what had happened. But after that, they said there was this eerie calm that took place as the stewardesses and the other workers on the plane got everybody off. What could have been in their luggage that was so important? So, good question. One of the kids, it was a kid, well, teenager, who grabbed his bag. He had just come back from a ski vacation uh, over the New Year's break, and he said he had his Apple laptop in there, but oh, he didn't want to leave it behind. Goodness. Oh. Yeah. You know, well, they'd cost a lot of money, those yeah, Apple laptops. Still, man. Yeah. So, uh, kudos to the people on this flight, the 12 crew that got these 367 passengers off. There were some people who had minor injuries, sprains and bruises from going down that chute, um, but... 
It wasn't 90 seconds. It was 18 minutes. And by the way, the plane was in the air, so they had that as well. Uh, People had to climb up to get off the plane because it had been hit. So that made it all the more miraculous that they were able to get everybody off. Absolutely incredible. Thank goodness. And, you know, this is one area where, you know, I've been very leery of artificial intelligence, especially in our jobs, but just in general. This is one area where I think maybe artificial intelligence, given all the near misses we've seen at airports, especially in America, but around the world in recent years, I think maybe AI could help coordinate, uh, do a better job helping avert some of these airline collisions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this military flight clearly did not have the green light to go and ran into the runway anyway. And that's what caused the collision. What else we got? The uh, maybe more miraculous than that, uh, Frank, a 13 year old gamer is the first ever human to beat Tetris. Uh, the game it was invented like 40 years ago. Right, I love Tetris. Nobody's ever made it to the final level where essentially the game says, you've outdone me. But this 13-year-old from Oklahoma, his name is Willis Gibson, uh, he live streams as he plays. So he has a fair number of people who watch him play this game, which is, I never understood. Right, the no, people all over the world do this. They watch other people play games, Tetris being one of them. And here's the moment he said, He finally made it. He said he could not feel his fingers anymore. That's how long and so many hours it had taken to get to the final level. This is what it sounded like for this 13-year-old when he realized he had actually beaten Tetris. Nobody, by the way, had ever done that before except an AI bot. Wow. Yeah. So uh, here he was when he won. Oh, 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 my God. For a lot of that, I can't tell if he's being murdered or losing his virginity. Yeah, well, my it could, goodness. could be there in that one, but it was just him winning the game. Uh, the Tetris company confirming uh, over the last couple of days that, yes, he's the first known person to have reached this monumental level of the game that was developed in the Soviet Union back in 1984, hit the U.S. market a couple of years later. So what does he get for this monumental moment of beating Tetris? Nobody's ever done it. No human what does has he ever- get? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Yeah. Well, it gives us, gets, gets to paraphrase John Stuart Mill, gives you an idea of what one 13-year-old boy can do with his time, but provides no guidance as to what a 13-year-old boy should do for right. his time. <laughs> exactly. So, thank you, Noam. And now you know the rest of the story. All right. You know, I'm wondering if there's anybody that would pay to live stream. Uh, maybe I can live stream myself playing craps. And maybe, you know, do that. Make a couple extra bucks that way. All right. Uh, I always really enjoy, and this is one of the highlights of 2023 for me, is the uh, frequent contributions from Brian Kilmeade. Uh, Not only the host of Fox & Friends and a nationally syndicated radio talk show host, but a New York Times bestselling author whose latest book, Teddy and Booker T., is a really informative and inspirational read. Kind enough to join us every Thursday morning. Brian, Happy New Year. It's great to talk with you. And like Aaron Rodgers, who contributes to the Pat McAfee show, I get a million dollars a week <laughs> You know, somebody, uh, to, some... join, to, <laughs> to join you. Uh, but you are a good guy anyway, Frank. It's not just the money. Yeah, well, I would, uh, if I had it, it would be yours, Brian. I would gladly oh, pay you. uh, for right. your appearances. All right. Hey, um, we're getting down to the wire in this uh, presidential race now. Iowa's around the corner. New Hampshire's around the corner. First debate of the year is coming up. And a lot of folks are saying that the uh, best thing done Donald Trump has going for him in New Hampshire and Iowa at this point is Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie because Nikki Haley clearly has got a lot of momentum. 
relationship. She's raising a lot of money, gaining a lot of key endorsements. And aside from the slavery situation, she seems to be a gaining ground in both states. She's now polling ahead of DeSantis nationally. And a lot of the folks that don't want Trump to be the nominee are saying having these other guys stay in the race, it's only helping him. How do you handicap the race at this point, Brian? Well, I mean, the thing that I, I just try to caution myself on is that these are just polls. They're not games. You know, this is not the regular season and you want to see who's going to win the playoffs. This is not even the regular season. So we're just going by, okay, he's up in the polls, he's up in the polls. And I, I guess when you have consistent poll results, you could trust them more. But in the back of my mind, I say to myself, this is such a small section of America, Republicans in a small rural state, and then New Hampshire, a big state, not a lot of people, and where independents can vote because Democrats aren't really holding a primary because Joe Biden won't compete there. So a lot of them, a lot of these independents go, I'm just going to go Republican. So I ask myself, you know, has anyone really sampled them? So I, I just would keep my powder dry on that. But if I'm to believe the polls, the odd thing is, is neither neither man outside Chris Christie, no, no contender, goes after Trump. And I just saw the number. It looks like Ron DeSantis spent $7 million uh, last month attacking Nikki Haley, $1 million attacking Trump, where he has received $35 million in negative ads more than any other candidate. And it's it's a tactic. The tactic is we have not figured out a way to go after the front runner and be the front runner without alienating his voters. And right now you can't win without his voters. In the general, maybe you have a better shot, but you have zero shot without without somehow winning over his voters that they're the better choice. I don't think it I don't even think they're open to it. It doesn't seem. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, where if things uh, shuffle at all from here, because clearly it has been the Trump show from uh, from the get go. And these indictments and everything else seem to only have uh, have strengthened him. So we'll see where that goes. Hey, uh, Brent, I know you're paying close attention to what's going on in the Middle East. We saw two bombs explode and kill at least 84 people at a commemoration for this uh, Iranian general Soleimani that was slain by a uh, U.S. drone a few years ago. No one is stepping up to claim responsibility. They're saying this is the deadliest militant attack to target Iran since 1979. Clearly a big deal. What's your gut tell you about who's responsible for this, Brian? You know, um, we had uh, experts on uh, probably 15, 20 minutes after this was announced, and nobody thinks it's Israel. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't look like something Israel does. I mean, people think that their civilians have died in Palestine, uh, the Palestinian territory of Gaza. Sure, they have, but they have been targeted. This would be a target of civilians, not high-value targets. They, they try to kill Soleimani like we did. They wouldn't try to kill Soleimani supporters. And keep in mind how divided Iran is. We don't hear much about it because they don't have a democracy. Right. They don't have a free press. But these people hate the government. And many people were celebrating Soleimani's death. So who this double blast had killed, um, you know, killed almost 100, 100 people and, and wounded, uh, wounded over 100, too, is devastating. And it also shows, too, that the country's got to be looking around and going, where are our enemies? We have to find a way, and this is not the way to kill civilians, but have to find a way to get Iran, China, and Russia on their back foot. We have been responding to everything they've done. The North Koreans armed the Houthis. The Chinese are arming Hamas. The Chinese arms there. Russia is celebrating 
basically celebrating the attacks that have the U.S. and our allies distracted from Ukraine. And, of course, China saying, listen, after about a year and a half, the U.S. loses interest in helping out uh, Ukraine. Same thing with Taiwan. They'll be outraged. But if we can weather the storm for 18 Mm -hmm. months, uh, we could probably pull this off. So how do we get them worried about us? And this is, even though I don't, nobody approves of killing civilians, sure. especially at a funeral. This is the first time I can remember Iran thinking to them, must be thinking to themselves, "Oh, wait a second! It's not just a matter of just poking America. It looks like we got some issues." That what an interesting way to look at that, um, and that's one that I hadn't uh, hadn't considered. But that makes uh, makes perfect sense. Hey, speaking of the Middle East, you know, we're seeing this uh, these this new superseding indictment in the case of Bob Menendez. It, it appears that Egypt is not the only country that he was eager eager to do favors for. There, these new accusations of corruption against Menendez are putting a whole new focus on Qatar, Qatar or Qatar's attempts to wield influence. In the West, I mean, there's been a lot of debate about whether the 21st century, what remains of it, whether that's going to be the Chinese century, the Saudi century. Qatar, who seems to be trying to make its influence felt in sports and every other aspect of life, from energy production to politics, a lot of folks are saying this is yet another indication of how interested Qatar is in buying influence. What do you take from this, uh, the Menendez thing, with respect to the Qatari angle specifically? I mean, how corrupt is this guy? And and as Chris Christie said the other night, uh, for five thousand dollars, you'll sacrifice your career and a watch. Are you kidding? I mean, what? Why does this guy have a security clearance? We know he's dealing with Egypt, selling our secrets. Perhaps he knows everything. He's on, is uh, on uh, the uh, foreign policy committee. Uh, we also know too that he's all over the Middle East, and now with Qatar, who are controversial at best, uh, big allies of Hamas. They they hide the leadership. And they uh, they want their uh, profile raised. They that's why they got the World Cup to begin with. And and Fox says they were unbelievably cooperative, looking to pay for all types of advertising uh, to sell their country to the world and to America specifically. It makes perfect sense they'd go after the New Jersey senator. But get, let me ask some. You have a near death experience in 2015. Only a hung jury kept your career alive, and you out of prison. And Jack Smith actually went after you, overcharged you. The jury couldn't come up with a verdict. You live to fight another day and win an election, much to the, you know, it, it's not a proud moment for New Jersey. It means you have no standards. And now you get caught again doing something four times as bad, only this time married to another woman who's also complicit. I mean, does this guy have any integrity at all? Well, again, he was acquitted in that first case. I'm amazed uh, that uh, that he was able to hang on as much as he did. And and you're right. I mean, if he was so brazen as to take gold bars after that, you'd think after a near miss like that, you'd almost become a monk, live a monastic existence exactly. that nobody could could question. Uh, Brian, I can't let you go without asking, uh, number one, your take on uh, final weekend of football. You've been pretty accurate thus far. Last week of the season is kind of tricky because you have a lot of these teams sitting their conventional starters to get ready for the playoffs. Any surprises this weekend that are going to affect the playoff picture, Brian? You know, I, I will say this. The biggest story is going to be the Harbaugh's 
Remember when they both got to the Super right. Bowl yeah. in New Orleans? That's when they lost the power, and John won with the Ravens. And that still is a, a, a that still is a tough moment because Jim Harbaugh is so competitive. Then he goes to Michigan, and says, "Okay, we're not going to compete anymore. I'm out of the 49ers situation." And we know he Kaepernick was the last person, uh, the last person he played for successfully was Jim Harbaugh. But to see what the Ravens are doing, to see what the Ravens have done uh, to Miami and the 49ers. Uh, and a year ago, uh, there looks like Lamar Jackson wasn't even going to sign there. Then they get Odell Beckham, and the, you know, who's been a solid contributor, not a great one, and to see what they've done on defense, that's going to be a huge story. Also, I had a chance to see the Jaguars. I kind of like an up-and-coming team that Trevor Lawrence played very well against Houston. Uh, I look for that. I think the other story is the the, the collapse of the Eagles. Mm. I mean, what the hell is going on there? And does anybody really believe that the Cowboys are much better than they were even a year ago? So you're seeing that they are a vulnerable team. The team to look out for, I believe, is Detroit. In in losing, they impress me even more. They believe that they can win. That co- that coach um, is has uh, got the got the loyalty of the players that you didn't think existed in the pros. It, you know, you see it in high school. But I've never seen this type of fiery display and loyalty at this level in this era uh, in, in such a long time. So I'd keep my eye on them. Yeah, I think uh, I know you're interviewing a Republican candidate for U.S. Senate in Michigan, Mike Rogers, today. I'm sure that's an issue that the two of you will absolutely be in agreement on. Hey, uh, Brian, do you know what you're doing Saturday night on One Nation yet? Yeah, uh, I think I'm going to... Well, we got uh, Fred Smith, the founder, his his idea of FedEx, the overnight delivery. Yeah. I kind of thank him for that. He is uh, given. He says the biggest worry he has right now is our debt. Uh, he gave a huge speech on this. If anybody understands the work ethic, he's also a Marine. He also has a, a, all these leaders are his friends. He even met Vladimir Putin multiple times. He's going to be joining us. I'm going to be tackling college sports. They're talking for massive reform, and Congress is being asked to lead it. Uh, Tommy Tuberville will join us. Charlie Arnold, formerly of ESPN, will be on after and analyze what they're working on. It looks like the stumbling block. They're going to get rid of the portal. They're, they're talking about having three years mandatory to stay at one school, then go wherever you want. Uh, Nick Saban talking about $35,000 per player, regardless of how good you are or the predominance of your position. But if you play for certain schools, that's what you would get. There's all types of rules they're talking about. You know what's standing in their way? The push by Democrats to unionize the players, college players. If they would just sober up, uh, we might get some reform because guess who? Well, guess what? All the coaches want it. The, the universities want it. The NCAA says we're powerless. It is the Wild West right now. You saw what happened with Florida State. So I'll talk about that. Pete Hagseth on the board in the, in the Middle East. So I have a good idea where I'm going to go. I'm going for Senator Langford to give us the negotiations. Evidently, the Democrats are playing ball about the border. I want to know what that means. But Langford uh, texted me saying they're making progress. They did talk every day except for Christmas and Christmas Eve in the break. So could that be coming on? I'll have Steve Miller analyze that from the Trump perspective. So that's what I have on the board. But, you know, it's only Thursday. Uh, things can change. All right. Brian Kilmeade, looking forward to doing this for another year with you, my friend. Thank you. Uh, congratulations on all your success, Frank. Thank you. Like, likewise. You know, no slouch yourself. No Fred Smith, but no slouch. All right. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight.
It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Pocket Protectors singing The Other Side of Midnight. Hey, tomorrow uh, we are scheduled to talk with Robert Davi. I am very much looking for that. Out forward to that. And uh, we're going to again try to connect with this fellow who believes Stephen King killed John Lennon. All that. Denunciations and Ask Frank anything. So we've got an action-packed Friday coming your way. But before we get there, we're still going to give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds at 800-848-9222 as part of... Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Mike! Morning, Frank. How many superstar radio hosts does it take to change a light bulb? None. It's like an oxymoron. I'll let you know when one exists. Brandon! Frank, I'm sorry to say my prediction for 2024 is that Chad Lopez will let you go for using his recycling bin, and you'll never drink another Diet Coke. Louis, uh, Louis. moron, jerk off, jerk. Lawrence. Rusty. Yeah, Chip keeps calling the man. Oh, he's such a good guy. Who cares about good guy? Hitler was a good guy socially. Big deal. What a jerk. Larry. Thirteen colonies signed the Declaration of Independence, but only twelve signed the Constitution. All right, E. Frank. Yes, uh, Frank. The commercial airline flight safety epitome. Download my flight from July eighteenth, nineteen eighty-two, and you'll see what Captain Paul Rosenberg did at John Fitzgerald Kennedy International Airport. Oh my, uh, thank you, uh, thank you, E. Frank. Uh, we'll end it on that ominous tone. All right, um, back tomorrow with Robert Davi. Ask Frank anything, and hopefully, the fellow that thinks Stephen King shot John Lennon. Frank Morano, good day. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.